You're live. Here's the other thing. I've got a lot of windows here. Wide screen, wide screen, very, very wide screen. And you'll be working away there somewhere. And you're typing, perfectly reasonable typing. And then something pops up and takes focus there. Because windows, I don't know why. And you end up then typing into the other window, completely screwing up. What's happening over there? I'm losing context there. Anyway, Christian, greetings from Norway on time for once. Yeah, I was late too. So, uh, yeah, cool. Thanks, Christian. I will be back in Norway in about three months. When's NDC Oslo? That's the uh, start of June. I'm going to be there. Trip it. <laughs> Trip it for everything. Uh, oh, that reminds me, actually. Where are we? We'll be back in Oslo on Friday, the 7th of June, which is going to be exciting. Really looking forward to that. Norway in the summer. I haven't been to Norway in the summer since, I think, 2019. We're there in September. It's not quite summer, though, is it? Anyway, James. G'day, James. Thanks for joining. Um, whilst I think about travel in June, I did put out a tweet during the week. I forgot to mention it in the notes here. And said we're gonna we're gonna be in Norway, looking for somewhere in late June to go with the kids. It's kind of like, and I realise I sound like an idiot as I said it. <laughs> I was like somewhere nice with like sand and beaches and nice water, you know, like tweet. And I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> why are we looking for that in Europe again? Anyway, the idea was is to go somewhere uh, after we do NDC. I was like somewhere summery, somewhere kind of um, yeah. I was. Like, it, one of my visions was we could have, like, a nice yacht and sail around the Mediterranean or something like that. I think it's just going to get a little bit too hard. Uh, and I was thinking maybe Croatia or something like that. Somewhere I haven't been before. So in the tweet, I put uh, I put my app in the air map of Europe. And it's got all the little dots of where you've been, at least where I've been in the last, oh, geez, 12 years or something like that since I started using TripIt because it gets fed from TripIt. Super cool because you get like lines and stuff everywhere. It says I've been to the moon and back four times or something stupid like that. So you see all these really, really cool places. Um, Christian says visit Iceland. I'm going to come back to that <laughs> in just a second. So this is this is sort of immediately after NDC, I was like with the kids as well. Uh, one, of the, one of the constant suggestions that was very good was, was Greece. Greece is, is on the list. I have not been outside the airport at uh, Heraklion in Crete. And even that was more than 30 years ago when my father was flying the plane and <laughs> we used to live in the Netherlands and he's like, would you like to fly somewhere today? So, okay. So we fly down there and we get out and we walk around and he kicks the tires and we get in and fly back. So that's my only Greece experience. So there's some good suggestions. As a couple of people suggested Ecos Resorts, which looks really, really sweet. So I think we'll look into that. But to your point, Christian, around Iceland, the, the, the working theory that Charlotte and I have at the moment is we'll go there, we'll do NDC, we'll go somewhere really cool with the kids like Greece. They're now old enough to put them on an aeroplane back to Australia and not be our problem. <laughs> so we're thinking we might go and do some other stuff, including Iceland, because I want to go to Iceland and hang out with Stefan for a bit. Uh, we need to go and spend a bit of time with Chief Passport, Password, Passport, Password, uh, Wrangler and Oompa Loompa. <laughs> Stefan, so we might do that. If you have other suggestions for really cool stuff for Charlotte and I in the end of Europe, like really, I just want to do really, really cool stuff. Uh, so she was she was thinking about like the Orient Express or something. And then I was thinking one of those like supercar 
drive tours where you just get to drive really, really cool cars through the Alps for three or four days or something. So maybe that. Christmas go north to the Polar Circle. Uh, I have been to the Polar Circle. I have been to um, Lapland, which we went to winter before last. Uh, we were thinking, since Christian's Norwegian, he'll get this, we were thinking about going to Lofoten, which, which looks really cool, but do we want to sort of go all the way up there and see, like, the never-ending sun and everything and do the local things, or do we want to go to, like, Greece and do the islands and things like that, as well as our son Ari is very into Greek history uh, and Greek gods and things like that. So, you know, it's got that going for it. Don't have that in Lofoten. We'll see. Kefa uh, from the Carolinas in the U.S. I have not been to the Carolinas in the U.S. There's a lot of dots on my U.S. map on <laughs> Happy in the Air, but not the Carolinas. Now, I do have a hard stop today. I tweeted earlier today we've got a, a very, very cool uh, supercar drive. It's a supercar drive weekend here in Australia on the Gold Coast. <laughs> and the weather today is beautiful. McLaren is clean, so this is going to be our, our afternoon. If you're on the Gold Coast, any of the handful of people up here early on the Saturday morning listening to this, uh, and you want to swing by, it's, it's in the tweet. It's going to be really cool. Now, on to business things. Sponsor this week is Report URI, who I feel needs no mention because they have been a regular feature, <laughs> not just as a sponsor, but as a project that I've been involved in for a long time with, of course, Scott Helm. Uh, Scott's Baby, Scott's Project, uh, which has done really, really good things, particularly around content security policies, guarding you from rogue JavaScript, don't get pwned, get real-time alerts and prevent, bre bre bleh, prevent breaches, uh, hashtag secure your site. So I think as I've mentioned before, I, Scott was a bit lost for words on the description in the sponsor bar because he only got 140 characters max of text. Uh, so I, I may have deferred to the AI <laughs> for that particular description. I think it came out kind of cool. Anyway, go and check out Report URI. Uh, Scott is still doing very, very cool stuff with that. Now, um, data breaches. And this is, a, for the most part, a fairly normal data breach story. What's not as evident behind the scenes is, I've mentioned before, Steph and I have been rolling over very, very gradually from Azure table storage to SQL Azure serverless. And this is a very gradual process because it is not easy getting the whole nearly 13 billion breached records in Have I Been Pwned from one storage construct to another. It's not easy for all sorts of reasons. It's not easy dumping it out of table storage. That took about five or six days with AZ Copy. It's not easy then well, actually, it was kind of easy then getting it back into SQL Server. But before that, we had to go through and clean a bunch of stuff because it turns out a decade of different regexes and processes for validating email addresses and domains. I didn't always get it right. So we actually cleaned out, I think, about 1.7% of email addresses. There's about 5.5 billion email addresses. It's just on average they've been pwned two and a bit times, hence the headline figure of nearly 13 billion. So it took days and days and days for the script to run to clean that out. Uh, it actually was pretty quick then to use SQL BC copy to get, I think, about half a terabyte of data from CSV format on the file system up in the SQL server. It's then taken a very long time to go through and take a raw set of CSV and convert it into the relational structure that we want for 
the ongoing operation of have been pwned. And we finally got through all of that. One of the, oh God, one of the, one of the queries took more than two days to run. You know what it's like with a SQL query where it's running and good luck. <laughs> like you don't know how long it's got left to run. It's not like, it, it's not like the loading bar for all sorts of different things where you can see on this percentage through or this many records through. It's just like the query is running. We'll let you know when it's done. Good luck, you know. And I was frankly losing my shit by the end of it because we were in a bit of a holding pattern with not being able to load new breaches until we could get this done. Now, we have loaded a new breach. Cut out Pro. I'm going to explain that in a moment. But just to finish off on the database rollover stuff, we now need on a breach-by-breach -breach basis to have a pipeline where we take a breach and we push it into this new structure. In fact, it's going into both. It's still going into table storage. We're pushing into SQL Azure as well. And we're going to do this over and over and over and over again until we get the process fast and reliable. Now, it's reliable. I've got no problems with that. I think it's actually much more reliable having one atomic SQL statement for various processes than it is trying to push rows into table storage. But it's taking too long. And <laughs> this one with 20 million records took about seven hours to process, which which is problematic because 20 million records at the moment when I load a data breach and have a band pwned uh, from, from go to woe for 20 million records into table storage is less than an hour. So we need to figure out, I think, what is ultimately slow, slow inserts more than anything else because we've got really, really large tables uh, with indexes, with keys, with unique constraints and things like that. So we're, uh, we've got a few things left to try that will, I think, then reach the capacity of our SQL knowledge, and then we might be reaching out to smarter SQL people than us. George is here. George is in Austria. Now, Austria keeps coming up. That's what I was thinking about. We were thinking, just talking before. I don't know if you missed it before, George, but Charlotte and I are trying to figure out what to do with ourselves in, in Europe in the end of June. We'll probably go to Iceland. Uh, we were thinking about going to Austria for the GP, so maybe heading uh, heading to the Formula One with Scott, because I am yet to actually go to a Formula One in person. So maybe we'll come to Austria <laughs> for a bit, George. See you at the F1. Anyway, Cutout Pro. Let's talk about Cutout Pro. Um, I'd never heard of them before. That's the first thing. Let me find the, the tweets and the messages here about it. Uh, and that's... Uh, that's fine. <laughs> I've not heard of most things that are out there before. But they popped up on one of these uh, one of these typical hacking forums and the data was popping up on Telegram channels. Or like, it was very, very broadly circulating data. And I'm just trying to find, here it is. So Hackmanic, that's uh, H4CKMANAC on Twitter, tweets loads and loads of good stuff in terms of when they see data appear uh, on popular hacking forums, dark web websites, um, um, what's the word, <laughs> ransomware websites, etc. So this one's popped up. Full database, 20 million record, cutout.pro, uh, some rando hacker dude on here. Today I'll share a trophy that our, might be Royal Owl, our team recently captured Leak date, 27th of Feb. Uh, and then all the information in here is like IP. What's the good stuff? IP, mobile, password, password, salt. MD5 hashes, by the way. <laughs> Salted MD5 hashes. So, yeah, good on you, Cutout Pro. Username. Yes, it's 
Look, for the most part, it's a very, very generic data breach. Now, for every data breach that goes into Have I Been Pwned, I have to be confident enough that it's actually legit, that it is the organization that is implicated. And I also have to try and have some conversation with the organization if it hasn't already been disclosed publicly. Which begs an interesting question. Is a tweet from a Twitter account that tweets about data breaches, is that disclosed publicly? It's in the public domain. Doesn't necessarily know, mean rather that the organization knows about it. Is it disclosed? Yeah. Case by case. However, in this case, I knew that the company knew about it. Can I say this? I think I can say this because they never got back to me. <laughs> I, uh, I won't say exactly what was said, but I see so many different tweets about data breaches. I normally look at it. Is it from an account I trust? Is it something that is okay to share at the moment? Does it seem legit? Yep, share it. And I honestly can't remember if I had shared that tweet or any other tweet about Cutout Pro. I, I actually think, looking back through my tweet timeline, I don't think I did. And I don't know why, because I think I saw it. Anyway, let's say hypothetically I did. And then not hypothetically, someone got in touch with me and asked me to remove it. Now, I say not hypothetically, because <laughs> why do they make this so hard? Uh, I say not hypothetically because I got a DM from someone. I think the words they used, I can't see it anymore. I did screen cap it, but I think the words they used were something to the effect of, we would like you to remove this tweet. And it was referring to Cutout Pro. Now, the reason why I'm talking about it and the reason why I don't, I'm not going to read it word by word, but I think it's just interesting to, to, to discuss is it, it effectively said, we'd like you to remove uh, the, the tweet. I'm going to tell you what I said because they're my words rather than someone else's words. Like I said, I do screen cap these things because you just, you never know when stuff is going to disappear, do you? <laughs> and as luck would have it, the entire account that tweeted this disappeared. So I'm not, I'm not entirely sure the reason for that. Uh, where is it? It's down here somewhere. Uh, it's a little bit, I wasn't that interested in it. I mean, okay, I would have loaded it anyway, assuming it's legit. It's a certainly an eligible data breach, to use that term. But I wasn't that particularly fascinated about it until the account got deleted. Uh, all right, I'm just eyeballing their message, um, basically saying, can you take down the tweet about this data breach? And I said, hi, name. I'd be cautious about trying to silence coverage of the incident. Even if the breach was reported to you directly, it would still be a notifiable incident in many jurisdictions. The way it was worded, it felt like they were going to deal with it quietly, which I don't like. So I've said it's still be a notifiable incident in many jurisdictions. Given the data has been posted to a public clear web forum, discussion is already well and truly in the public domain. If you don't already have a copy of the data, then please get in touch on my email address and I'll be happy to get it over to you. Equally, if you determine that the incident was fabricated, then I'd be happy to share that publicly and debunk the existing claim. In other words, let's just let the data speak for itself. Uh, if it's legit, then it's legit and we deal with it the same way as we always do, which we ultimately have. If it's not legit, then we deal with it that way. But what we don't do is silence it. So 
I write that response. How long was that? That was uh, 33 minutes after receiving the original message. And I click send and I get the big red exclamation mark thing saying can't send. I'm like, oh, that's a bit weird. Did I use a bad word or something? Like nope, didn't do that. Uh, I go to another device and I can't see the DM anymore. In fact, I'm going to see if this person, I actually can't see the username there. I know what it is. <laughs> it was easy. Person's deleted their account. And I don't know why. They didn't have a lot of followers. But it was enough. It was enough that they didn't just stand the account up just to tweet me. So that made me interested. And I started looking at it very, very quickly. And what I did, in fact, I'll come back and I'll explain what I did at the moment because then they've uh, they've been a, a little bit naughty in their uh, in their statements to the press. <laughs> so, uh, where, where's that tweet thread? I'm going to read that in a second. Here we go. So anyway, I've loaded this. Uh, the Have I Been Pwned tweet that goes along this says, 20 million records breached earlier this week included email and IP address, name, insulted MD5 password, hash 29% already have I been pwned. Pretty low hit rate, 29%. I'd normally see anywhere from like 50 to 70%. So possibly not particularly impactful for the typical demographic that is in Have I Been Pwned. Doesn't matter, still 20 million records, and it was useful to help us <laughs> try and tune the, the SQL import for the new data structure. Now, there's ended up being a, a, an article here in the press about this. And one of the things I said, and this is what I would have said to these people who had a reply to me there's going to be press coverage of this because it's quite a large incident. You now have the opportunity to decide, or rather, to influence the narrative. If you say nothing, the press is going to fill in the gaps uh, and the public will fill in the gaps. If you're transparent and honest, then that will come through and things will work out better for you. Uh, they appear not to have chosen that route. And then they've been interviewed here. Uh, they're on hackread.com. It's a whole bunch of stuff here, you know, what's in the data, etc. Reach forums. Oh, how's that do? What is reading that? That's something on Hackred. That did it before. I don't know if you heard that. Let me try this. If I select that text. Cut out. Pro response to hackread.com. What is doing that? That is just that tab, isn't it? What happens if I... Uh... How can you mute a tab these days? You used to have a little mute... Oh, here we go. Mute site. Okay, let's try this again. Wow, that's funky. So that is something on that website... I'm going way off tangent here. But if you select a piece of text, you know, let's do this. I will select the piece of text, which I think is is poor form, <laughs> and then we'll see if it reads it. Uh, let's see. Uh, okay. uh, hack readers been monitoring the situation because uh, the marketing department responded the following day. Oh, here we go. Yes, perfect. Ready? The company's marketing department responded the following day. Denying any evidence of a data breach and labeling the leak as a clear scam. <laughs> Just in case you didn't hear that from my speakers back through here, because I'm not relaying audio, the system audio. It says the company's marketing department responded the following day, denying any evidence of a data breach and labeling the leak as a clear scam. Now, old mate who contacted me by Twitter DM has deleted his account, no longer communicating. I did find an email address on 
their website several days ago. I reached out to that email address and I said, hey, look, someone DM me, Twitter account's gone, you really need to pay some attention to this, so on and so forth, uh, and I never heard anything back. It's pretty easy to figure out who I am and establish that I'm probably not some crazy rando and it's maybe worth listening to if you've had a data breach. Uh, they decided not to do that. I don't know how they established there's no evidence because clearly they haven't seen the data. It's very, very easy for an organization who's had their data breached and then someone says, here's your data. If it takes them honestly any more than about five minutes to figure out that this is data that's come from their system, they're doing it wrong. Simply because when you've got a whole bunch of internal identifiers, timestamps, email addresses, you look at those and you take some and then you look at your system and you go, Oh shit, it matches. <laughs> you know, like what, what are the chances? It must be legit. But it's also easy for me and for you and for all the other independents out there to establish the legitimacy of the data reach. And I put a tweet thread out about this just the other day. It works like this. Many of you have probably heard me say this before. You find three mailinator addresses in the corpus of data. Now, when you've got 20 million records, there are going to be hundreds of mailinator addresses. Mailinator is a public mailbox. You can send it to some rando at mailinator.com and then you go to mailinator.com in your browser and you put some rando in the mailbox field at the top and it shows you the mail. They're public mailboxes by design. So if you can find three random email addresses, only three because that's enough to have a very, very high degree of confidence, three random email addresses, do password resets to each one, Go and check the mailboxes. They all get password reset notifications, particularly, and Cutout Pro doesn't do this, but particularly if they repeat either a username or an internal identifier, such as a user ID or a reset token or something that is in the breach, thus like double confirming the legitimacy, you know it's real with a very, very high degree of confidence. So for them to say there's no evidence, it's just like... What, like, what are you looking at? Now, maybe they're like, well, the firewall looks fine. I don't, I don't know, like something, something tangential. But it, you, you, you're making it worse. You're making it worse because now you look stupid for denying your data breach. <sighs> All right, comments. <laughs> Brian, greetings again from Bogan adjacent American. <laughs> uh Christian says, uh, by the way, congrats on Evernote. All right, let's talk about that briefly. Um, Evernote, who, uh, who I, I hate to admit I have used in the past, and then I rolled everything over to OneNote when they started charging money. But e Evernote is a, is a very popular service uh, for note-taking, sharing your notes, works on your device, etc. They rolled um, Pwn passwords into their service, and they're now checking passwords on every single, uh, I guess every single, if it was me, I'd be doing it on every single, certainly registration or password change. They may even be doing it on password reset. I don't know. Now, just incidentally, Pwn passwords are checked after they'd signed up as well. Not because I expect that they alone are going to have a massive impact, but I was like, I haven't checked this for a while. If I go to uh, Cloudflare and I look at Pwn passwords and I look at our analytics, um, it it has gotten very, very, very big. So we are now up to, over the course of the last 30 days, 7.94 billion requests. Uh, and in fact, a couple of days ago, we had 356 million requests in a day. 
And I'm, I'm starting to see in the not too distant future the point where we're hitting a billion requests in a day, which is kind of, kind of nuts. So it's massive. It's all open source. It's all free. It's passwords that I've collated over hundreds and hundreds of data breaches, plus passwords that get fed in by the likes of the FBI. So it's become an awesome uh, free service, no registration, no auth. Uh, because of that, we have no idea who's using it until someone like Evernote pops up and says they're using it. And in their case, and I think this is what Christian is referring to, gives us a 10,000 US dollar donation, which is very awesome. It was really, really, really super cool of them. Uh, we we have done some things already with that money. Uh, and it's it's a lot of it has gone to other places, not least of which a lot of it unfortunately has to go to tax. Because we're not unregistered nonprofit or anything like that, uh, when we get a donation like that, company tax in Australia is 25%. So a quarter of it immediately disappears. And then we've sent more of it in other directions and we are reinvesting more of it into infrastructure uh, and expanding. So it was very, very cool from uh, from Evernote to do that. And thanks for picking up on that. Christian. <laughs> Brian says, Alexa, stop listening. Neil's down south of Sydney. Now, Neil has also sent us uh, sent us some good stuff. I'm going to talk about uh, about you a little bit later. Now. Oh, no, that was the next topic, yeah. I'll talk about you now. Why do I put commas this time, not semicolons? Yeah. Uh, I mentioned last week about doing a Have I Been Pwned UX redesign, and it's like, where do you begin? It's not just the website, it's also the logo, some of the branding, some of the interactions on the website, some of the taxonomy on the website. Now, a really good example, and Neil's seen me talk about this already, is we have subscribers that purchase API keys or searches for larger domains, and it's all through Stripe, and it's all automated, which is lovely. And every time they're due to get charged, they get a little reminder email. You've seen this before because you're subscribed to things. You know, hey, just a reminder that, you know, a week from now, you're going to be charged for the service. And that gives people an opportunity to cancel it or to increase it or do whatever they want. And the Stripe email that goes out says, yeah, you have very little flexibility in what this email says. It's basically like, look, if you want to cancel, modify your subscription, there's a URL. So the URL is just haveibeenpwned.com. Now, you can try this from home right now. <laughs> Imagine you go to haveibeenpwned.com. You've completely forgotten about it because like many of us, we get subscriptions to things that we then completely forget about. And you go there and you're like, all right, where do I change my subscription? And there's no subscription link and there's no login link and there's nothing like that. And what it is, is it's there behind the domain search and it's behind the API. But over the course of time, People forget this, and then they find it hard to go back and find this information. We also, just due to historic reasons, the fact that there was always just domain search, and then there were just APIs, and there was no other association between them, but now they're all bundled into one subscription. They sit there as two separate things. And that's just like one little example of where things that that made sense a decade ago uh, now are suboptimal, <laughs> to use a uh, polite term. So redesign stuff required there it's still all running i think we're like bootstrap 3 jquery 2 something it's uh which which works it's it's not terrible but a lot of the ux and a lot of the experiences of things like model pop-ups for example uh, are not great i've still got google recapture on there which i've been really wanting to get rid of for a long time in favor of cloudflare's turnstile which is actually used on the invisibly on the search box on the front page 
And I'm thinking about all this stuff, and I'm just going, like, there's there's too much to even really know where to begin. And after I spoke about this last week, Neil reached out uh, and, and offered some support on this. And what we've sort of decided to do is just as a, a very much a divergence phase of brainstorming this to create a GitHub repository, which we have soft launched. I'm going to tell you what it is because it's part of the soft launch and then I'll, I'll blog it later on. Uh, if we go to github.com forward slash have I been pwned, there's a public repo with a bunch of stuff there. One of the things that is now public there is a UX-rebuild repo. So just for anyone that wants to look at it, I'm going to make it easy and drop it into the comments here. And uh-huh, there we go. Uh, that link is now in there. So you'll see a little bit of an intro there. And then what I decided to do is just use GitHub discussions. And there is a GitHub discussion here about website taxonomy. And there's another one about data visualization. Uh, so for example, what I mean by that is at the moment you do a search and then you get a great big long list of data breaches and so on. We could do so much more with this. And in fact, the ABC down here in Australia did an epically cool visualization that sort of shows you how your data builds up over time with with multiple different data breaches. I've linked through to that in the discussion. There's another one here about the client-side tech stack. I I just want to avoid getting too many ideas about the server side because I I think we're pretty solid on that. Um, I just just noticed Marek's just said a style guide. Uh, Yeah, that would be a good idea. Should I put that in there? Why not? Yeah, Psh, screw it. New discussion, style guide. <laughs> Let's do it right now. Uh, so this is share ideas for new features. So we'll do that. And we'll say style guide. Um, more to come. Jotting this down during weekly video. Okay. Bam, that's in. Thank you, <laughs> Marek. That's really handy. So anyway, there's that sort of stuff. Uh, and, and also there's a lot of people, to, to Marek's point here, there's a lot of people that want to represent have I been pwned in some way. In fact, one of the terms of use of the API is that you need to attribute the source. So I'd like to have a style guide with, you know, here's the way you can use the logo and stuff. I'm not going to be a dick about it and then go and sue people because they don't follow the style guide. But... <laughs> having logos and vector graphics and PNGs and different ways of representing the brand does make it easier for people. And I I say this as someone who often has to go out and find this stuff myself, normally because the company's been breached and I need a logo. So anyway, all of that is there. I'm just going to massage it a little bit, maybe over the coming week or something, get some more ideas and so on down. uh, And then I'll blog about it and I'll offer more or rather invite more input, and we'll see where it goes. I am a little bit wary about just getting bombarded by different ideas, but there's also kind of the point. Uh, Marek says, someone didn't do due diligence before sending the tweet takedown request. I wonder if that was related to Cutout Pro. Brian, I learned from my Aussie friends about being culpable personally if you get hacked. Is that true? I, th- I think we kind of need some more some more info about that, Brian. I am not aware of anything in Australia that's any different to anywhere else in the world in terms of your culpability if you've been... And if I was to guess, it might be something to the effect of if someone gets fished and falls for a scam, pays money somewhere, you're personally liable. It's, it's, it's also not quite that straightforward either. It's, it's still a criminal, a criminal act. 
anyway, if you have more information, share that. But that, that sounds weird to me. Oh, you're saying as a developer, no. <laughs> no, like if you're working for a company and you write some crappy code and the organization gets breached, you are not personally liable for that at all. Uh, I've, I've never heard of that happening anywhere. I welcome precedence and independent coverage of it if that has happened. Don't think it has though. FedEx. So I did write the FedEx blog post, which I spoke about last week. And this was the one where the FedEx, I got an SMS that said it was FedEx about a parcel waiting delivery and some tax and duties needing to be paid that just had all the hallmarks of a fish. And I won't go into it too much now because I kind of spoke about it last week and it was after I put the blog post out. But 87% <laughs> of people in the Twitter poll I did and that's 87% of more than 4,000 respondents said that the SMS was dodgy AF, don't touch it. And that's what I thought originally too. The one they followed up with was just as dodgy AF, but it was real. So fascinating that we're having this problem where scammers try to emulate legitimate organizations, obviously to make their scams more effective, but then conversely, legitimate organizations are using all the hallmarks of a scam just because they're incompetent. I will say I did have someone from FedEx reach out to me, someone in a security capacity, in a good way, <laughs> it's not, not upset with me, but people probably like you and I who are there just face palming every time they see something like this, wondering why their organization is doing something so stupid. And I know that every time I share something like this, there are good people within that organization just going, oh God, what's marketing done this? It's always marketing. I did a talk at one of our big four Aussie banks a few years ago, and I use a very, very similar example. And in fact, I did a workshop at the bank and then I did a talk to a whole bunch of people and I just watched the security people there as I showed these examples of really, really fishy looking messages from this organization with all the hallmarks that they are telling their customers to look out for so that they don't get fished. So anyway, point is, I know there are good people inside these organizations having to deal with marketing departments. Brian, okay. I heard, so this is about the culpability. I heard some of them talk about having insurance or something, maybe misunderstood, but they don't want to even try to be DevSecOps because they thought they could get sued if got pwned. No, look, I wouldn't be right at that at all. Um, having um, public liability insurance is not unusual in that particular situation, which might give you some coverage for something like that. But uh, like I'd, I'd kind of push it back, Ryan, and go, can you if this happened, there would be a news story about it. You know, there'd be an article somewhere because it would be a really, really big thing. And if that happened, I'd really like to hear about it. Uh, he's then said, uh, perhaps, I don't know, <laughs> a couple of really great tech nerds and they said something about it. Again, if this is a thing, show us precedence. We've heard so many times in this industry about some sort of uh, legislation or intention from government or signaling, whatever else it may be, that Sounds really sensational and never happens. Uh, you know, our whole, oh, I even forget the acronym now, the whole thing about the government being able to intercept encrypted communications and all the rest of it in Australia, that was a really, really big news thing probably six years ago. Um, 
something an access bill. I even forget what it is because no one talks about it anymore because it hasn't changed anything whatsoever. Christian says, Brian, you mean something like the CISO of Uber, but that was more covering up the breach, not the breach itself. Yeah, and that's a really good example. What's this guy's name again? But he got, <laughs> that did not work out well for him, but that was literally obstructing the investigation. Uh, so that seemed to be much less about the technology and more about if we forget all about the fact that he was a CISO uh, and that there was hacking and vulnerabilities in code and something like that, uh, and literally trying to, let's just find the description. Uh, CISO of Uber charged. Uh, what was his name? It was Joe or something, wasn't it? <laughs> Joseph Sullivan was sentenced to serve a three-year term of probation and ordered to pay a fine of $50,000, I assume that is American dollars, Announced first assistant United States Attorney Stephanie M. Hines in FBI San Francisco. Uh -huh. The sentence was handed down. This was the uh, Justice Department. Um, <clears throat> it's talking about this. Uh, Sullivan previously served as the Chief Security Officer for Uber. Uh, the evidence at trial established that while he was serving in his role, Uber was under investigation by the Federal Trade Commission as a result of the data breach that suffered in 2014. The FTC's Division of Privacy and Identity Protection, which is charged with overseeing issues related to consumer privacy and information security, among other things, ultimately investigated both the nature of the circumstance of the data breach and Uber's broader cybersecurity program. Where's the pointy bit here? Uh... Oh, here we go. In fall 2017, Uber's new management began investigating facts surrounding the 2016 data breach. When asked by Uber's new CEO what happened, Sullivan lied about the circumstances of the breach, including by telling the CEO that the hackers did not steal any data. Sullivan lied again to Uber's outside lawyers who are conducting an investigation into the incident. Nonetheless, the truth about the breach was ultimately discovered by Uber's new management, which disclosed the breach publicly and to the FTC in November 2017. What was I saying about like the truth always comes out in the data? So not so much about the data breach, not so much about the code or anything, but more about the fact that you've got a C-suite executive lying <laughs> about what actually happened. Like that's Just be honest about this. It's crazy, isn't it? Who knows what pressure he had under him to force him to lie, or rather to cause him to lie. But here, here we are. Uh, Brian says, okay, thanks. Uh, I sent them a good job request that I found, and they said, no, nah, thanks, no, mate. Well, yeah, we're in a time in this industry where you can be picky. It's good for folks in tech. Now, last thing here, because the FedEx email was not a phishing email, I did actually have a Prusa Mark IV 3D printer arrive which was great. Now, I have mentioned before that Al, our 11-year-old daughter, and I are going to do a 3D printing talk at NDC Oslo in June. Hope you'll be there, Christian. You're, <laughs> you're close enough. Now, this is a massive, massive thing. NDC, to me, was always, like, if I could ever get to NDC, it would be amazing. It would be the greatest thing ever. Now, this was more than a decade ago that I, I had this aspiration. Now, unbeknownst to me, not only did I get to NDC for the first time in 2014, it really, really kickstarted my career. And then I married one of the organizers <laughs> later on. So if anyone's invested in NDC, uh, I'd say it's me. So when we go to NDC this year, I'm going to do a keynote, which is going to be great on, on Friday. And it's going to be very much, it's going to be a soft skill keynote. It's about the things that we can build 
as developers and how we as you know, just developers, technologists, let's be general, with so little can do so much. I think we have this really, really cool unfair advantage and leverage in this industry. So that's, that's, that's sort of my broad brush idea. I've got to turn that into a talk yet. So we'll be doing that. Al and I will be doing a co-presented 3D printing talk. Now, Al has genuinely picked up a lot of skills over the last three years with our Mark III doing printing. There's a lot that she knows that she will be able to tell technology professionals that they don't know. And that, to me, is, is the key measure. This is not a kid's talk. This is a talk for adults. And we'll, we'll do it together, and I'll help her along the way, but she will impart a whole bunch of knowledge that, that will be new to people. And she's really picking this up and going great now. Um, a, a really good example of this is yesterday, a couple of days ago, Charlotte bought a, uh, like a bonsai plant and a pot. And the bonsai plant just has a, has a stem. And then it's just, just this big open pot. And Charlotte says, you know, can you, can you design and 3D print a base to hold the, uh, the bonsai plant in? And I was like, yep. Uh, and I had nothing more to do with it. And next minute, there is a, a base that's printed. So she got the vernier calipers. She did all the measurements. She got them right, too. Measured them all up. All the mechanics that you have to do to then design that, model it, export it into a slicing app, slice it for the printer, send it to the printer, get all the filaments and all the all sorts of things right, get it all clean. And, and she printed it uh, all by herself as an 11-year-old, which I was very impressed with. And then we put the bonsai plant in and it fit and then it immediately snapped. <laughs> and it snapped because it had just a very, very, uh, I guess, fine base. So her, her next task now, she needs to look at that and go, okay, well, how do, we, how do we reinforce a physical item such that we can have sort of lateral force on it and it won't just snap? Anyway, point is, super, super cool topic that I've really enjoyed over the last few years. She's going to be talking about it. There is a new printer from the Mark III that we've been using, which obviously this Mark IV. We're having one sent to Oslo from Prusa, so we'll be able to actually have a printer there on stage, which would be cool. We've also had one sent here, and like with the Mark III, we've had them deliver the kit version. So this is literally the coolest Lego set ever, right? <laughs> because you know how you get Lego, and it's all in different bits and pieces, but you've got good instructions, and you follow it through, and it's just a fun thing to do. That's what it's like with the printer. So I've got a, a tweet thread going at the moment where as we go through, I'm just like taking photos of different bits as Al builds the printer. And at the moment, she, she's built the frame, uh, which is cool. She's installed the PSU. Uh, she has also installed the, the circuit board as well. And that's I got a tweet that last photo, actually. But that's where we're up to now. So as we go along, it will be everything from the rails that the that the uh, print bed runs on to obviously all the, all the hot end and all the PTFE tubing and it will be an entire printer and there will be flashing firmware and things like this. And the, the reason I did this originally three years ago with the kit is because you learn so much about how the thing works and they do need care and feeding. So the number of times I've had to take bits apart because there's been a jam or I've needed to replace something or a couple of times a piece is broken, we've had to do that so many times and because we've gone through the process of building the whole thing ourselves, you feel much more confident with it. So I'll keep sharing that. It's going to be a really, really fun talk. Uh, Christian, unfortunately, won't be there. <laughs> he was at NDC Security in Jan. <laughs> we had a chat then. Uh, but yeah, the, the video will hopefully be up online afterwards uh, as well. And that's uh, I, I really want it to be up there because I want to be able to then share that with her school as well. 
um, and she's already getting some some lovely feedback from from the school because it's a it's a big thing for an eleven year old child to it's a big thing for me as a a professional with more than a decade of software development experience to go to Norway and do a talk. Imagine an eleven year old child. So it's a massive massive thing for her. We're enormously proud of it, uh, and we will be sharing that video once it's out. Um, <laughs> Brian says, "So when do you start making battle bots? <laughs> We've made so much really cool stuff." Really cool stuff. She made um, one of the things we want to do without giving it away is we'll, we'll just we'll hand out a bunch of things that have been printed that people probably don't expect can be printed. Things like articulated things. <laughs> For example, snakes. You can print 3D printed snakes that move, that are articulated. Now you might think, well, it's all plastic and it's all hard, but they just print very, very small tolerances between bits that are kind of like literal hooks like this. And then the it moves. She's been printing crossbows. <laughs> what could go wrong with that? I went to NDC with my crossbow. And next, anyway, but they're crossbows that shoot Q-tips. So you can make these little crossbows. You can make catapults and stuff like that. So we'll bring things that we can like throw at the audience. That would be good fun. Mark says, a Lego set that can make a Lego-like set. Been thinking about going down the rabbit hole myself, but I wonder how much I'd get use out of it. Well, I wondered that too. And now here we are. Uh, I, I don't know, uh, Marek, if, if you have kids or not, but honestly, the, the best technology thing I've ever bought the kids by a long shot was that 3D printer. And of course, we use it a lot as well. Uh, even for things like I, I print a lot of 3D logos for, for Have I Been Pwned, which I then hand out at conferences and people just love. All righty. So I'm going to wrap it up there, folks. I'm going to go and have that nice... Uh, Nice supercar drive day in the sun. I'm sure I'll put some tweets and things out there later on with that. Um, thanks for joining in. If you feel like dropping some ideas into that GitHub repository as well, like the UX redesign, please do that. Uh, and I'll come to you next week. Cheers, folks.